Good morning. My name is Stephen, and I'm the young adult pastor here. And a couple years ago, I bumped into a friend of mine who I hadn't seen in a couple years. We had gone to high school together, played basketball together. I had an illustrious basketball career in which I went 1 in 25. <laughs> one win, 25 losses, but I'll have you know I was a starting point guard on that team. Led our team to a lot of those losses. Listen, our team was so bad that this brother, he was far from God. He would just show up tipsy to basketball games. He thought, what do I have to lose anyways? We're going to lose this game. And so I bumped into him right after college, after graduating from college. And we started talking and catching up. And I I mentioned the fact that I was a Christian. And he said, you're a Christian. I said, yeah, I'm a Christian, man. I've been a Christian since I was five years old. I gave my life to Jesus. I grew up in a Christian home. He said, I had no idea. He said, I, I gave my life to Jesus six months ago. And I remember playing basketball, and I always thought you were a nice guy. But I never knew you were a Christian. And when he said that, I recognized that although I was living for God, and although I, wa- I was trying to please God, I never opened up my mouth and told him why I was living the way I was living. And I wonder this morning if we were to survey your coworkers, your neighbors, your extended family, would they know why you live the way that you do? We're starting a, a series today on our core values here at Grace Covenant. And we have five core values that aren't unique to us and that other churches have these values. But together, these five are what God has called us to be. We keep these five as the focus in order to live out the purpose that God has for this church. And those five values are evangelism, discipleship, spiritual family, leadership development. And I'm missing one, evangelism, lordship, that's the last one. If the pastor doesn't know the five core values, that's when we're in trouble. And this morning, I want to talk to you about the core value of evangelism. The title of this message is Unstuck, Unstuck. We're going to look at Acts chapter 16, verse 25 through 34. There's a couple reasons before we jump into this passage why we don't evangelize. For many of us, maybe we lack the boldness. We know how to share the gospel. Maybe there's a moment to do so but we lack the boldness. We're afraid of what somebody might think if we do. Maybe for some of us here, we don't know how to share the gospel. Like if somebody was to ask you, how do I become a Christian? Could you very clearly and concisely tell them how to become a believer? But the third reason, it's the one that that we're going to camp on today, is that oftentimes we're stuck in a situation. And because we're stuck in a situation, it's hard to see beyond our own situation. Maybe we're stuck in a job that we prayed for, but now we don't really enjoy. Or we're stuck in a a family situation that's dysfunctional. Maybe we're stuck in a sin pattern and we feel unqualified to open our mouth about Jesus because we know the sin pattern that, that we're in. And for most of us, when we're stuck in life, it's not just our bodies that are stuck, it's our mouths that are stuck shut too. Because we're so focused on what we're going through that we can't see the opportunities that God has given us around us to impact people's lives. There's a moment in 
This book, Acts, the fifth book of the New Testament, where the Apostle Paul and his companion, Silas, are stuck in prison. And my hope is that today, by looking at this passage, seeing how they responded in this situation where they were stuck, that we could glean something and get unstuck in our lives today. So Acts chapter 16, 25 through 34. This is God's word to us. And it says, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself! For we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house, and he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Four things I want to talk to you about today. Movement, music, moment, and message. Movement, music, moment, and message. I'm making it easy on you with the four M's. First, movement. The Apostle Paul in this passage, his life could be characterized by a life of movement. Jesus Christ, the last words that he gave to the 12 disciples, these 12 men who followed him very closely, who were there for every moment of his three years of of ministry, his last words to them were what we call the Great Commission. He said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. And behold, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Go and make disciples. This mission that God has given us, the same mission he gave his disciples, is to go. It requires movement. This gospel that God became man in Jesus Christ, that he lived a perfect life. He died on the cross, and three days later, he rose again. And anybody who believes in him can have eternal life. That message that is at the core of our faith is meant to be shared. It's meant to be taken to the ends of the earth. It requires us to move. And the Apostle Paul is moving. In this passage, his life was characterized by movement. He's on his second missionary journey, preaching the gospel throughout Europe. He's in a place, modern-day Greece, a place called Macedonia. And he's asking God, he's with his companion Silas, where do you want us to go? And God gives him a vision in the middle of the night. And he sees this dream of a man in Macedonia. And he says, come over to Macedonia and help us. And so Paul and Silas go to Philippi, the the leading city or the capital city of Macedonia. They start preaching the gospel. They start moving. And for a while, everything is going according to plan. 
They preach the gospel. They see this woman who was very influential, very wealthy, named Lydia. She gets saved. Her whole family gets saved. But inevitably what happens when you're following God is that there's an enemy who you get the attention of. There's opposition. And Paul and Silas experienced that opposition. There was a, a young girl who was a slave in that city of Philippi. And she had a demon that allowed her to, with witchcraft and black magic, she made her owners a prophet. And because of the evil spirit inside of her, she was taunting Paul and Silas. And for a couple days, Paul lets it go, because who wants to confront a little girl? But then when it had become a distraction that they could no longer tolerate, they did what only the apostle Paul could do. They cast the demon out. And it should have been a celebratory moment. It should have been an amazing moment. But the owners of this girl recognized that their source of income was now gone. And so they complained to the magistrates or the leaders of that town. And the magistrates gave orders to throw Paul and Silas in prison. They were beaten with rods and thrown into prison. So imagine how you would feel if you're Paul. You're following Jesus. You're doing every. You've been given a commission a dream to go to this place. You're following that dream to a T. You're preaching the gospel. You're seeing fruit. And now you're beaten with rods and thrown into prison. He's stuck. And not just prison, but the inner cell, a place reserved for dangerous low-class felons, a place that was damp and cold and infected with insects. Most of the difficulty that comes in our lives is a result of our own stupidity. Amen. Isn't that true? We would like to identify with Paul here and say, you know, we're, the hardship that we're experiencing is a result of the gospel. But really, most oftentimes, it's our own disobedience, it's our own sin, it's our own stupidity. Amen. But there's other kinds of difficulty that just results in being in a broken world. Get the flu. You get in a car accident. You didn't do anything wrong. You didn't do anything. I mean, you were just living life, and as a result of being in a broken, fallen world, you experienced difficulty. But then there's a third type of difficulty that Paul was experiencing here. And what Jesus promised to his disciples, he said in John 16, in this world, you will have tribulation. So if you're going to follow Jesus, if you're going to follow the will of God, if you're going to do what he's called you to do, you will face difficulty. It's just a part of the Christian life. Jesus' brother James in his book, uh, James said this in the very beginning, verse 2 of his book. He says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Not if, but when. Difficulty is a part of the Christian life. I'm really sorry to break it to you this morning. So what do you do when you're in a situation of difficulty like Paul and you feel stuck? That's where point number two, the music, comes in. Now, I don't know about you all if there's certain songs that when you hear, it elicits moods or, or makes you think back to times in your life. For me, if I hear a Chris Brown song or the musical prodigy T-Pain, <laughs> I'm instantly transported back to my junior year of high school, prom, where I was wearing an all-white tuxedo with an all-white fitted cap. And man, I looked like an idiot, but I felt good. 
when those songs come, I'm, I'm transported back to a happy place. Or, or maybe for some of the older crowd here, you hear the song by Bill Withers, Ain't No Sunshine. And you think back to that relationship and what could have been and the heartache that you feel because music has a way to elicit emotions. It's why we pay thousands of dollars for a DJ at a wedding to play certain songs because we don't want everybody leaving the dance floor all at once. And for most of us, we allow the circumstances of our lives to be the DJ. When this bad situation happens or this work situation or this family situation, all of a sudden it garners some kind of emotion from the inside of us. And we live waiting for the next song that the DJ plays, waiting for the next circumstance, hoping that something good will happen in our lives. But I'm going to give you some revelation this morning. There's something called Spotify, something called iTunes, something where you can actually pick the song that you want to listen to. Amen? And Paul and Silas, they're here in prison. And the tune that everybody else is around them stuck in prison is a tune of depression. But here Paul and Silas get this revelation that they can make their own song. They can start singing and praying and have their own top 40 hit. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And you know, sometimes when you're stuck, you got to channel your inner Pentecostal. You got to, listen, I'm all about the silence and solitude. I'm a very introspective person. I'm a very journaling type of person. But sometimes when you're going down Route 66, you got to just start singing. You got to start looking crazy to the person next to you. And they're just looking at you. You got your one hand on the steering wheel, one hand lifted up. You're just, you don't care because you got to get unstuck. You start declaring who you are in Jesus Christ. You start speaking to your circumstances. You start thanking God for who he is, that although your family situation is looking bleak, you know God works all things together for good to those who love him. Although the enemy's coming against you and your family, you start declaring that no weapon formed against you will prosper you. Although you feel like your boss is the second coming of the Antichrist, or maybe the first coming, you start declaring God's will and purposes in your life. You start singing your own song in that car. These brothers started making their own music right there in jail cell number 32. Tucked away. Nobody could hear them except the prisoners around them. It says the prisoners were listening. There are people around you who are listening to the song that you're singing. You got a whole city that's been furloughed. What song were you singing? What were the people around you hearing when you were in that jail cell? It wasn't just the prisoners that were listening, though. God was also listening. Psalm 34, verse 15 says, The eyes of the Lord are, are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. Listen, sometimes you may not even have enough faith to make a song. You just have a cry. But the good news is God hears that too. And God was listening to that song in the prison. And the disciple, uh, Paul and Silas, their music produced a moment. When it comes to evangelism, most of us feel the pressure of making a moment. We feel like we got to be like Pastor Brett. we got to have a long, elaborate sermon. There's got to be some organ backing us up. But the reality is, God is not looking for us to make a moment. He's just looking for us to make some music, just to worship, to pray, and then he makes the moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Verse 26 says, as Paul and Silas are singing and praying, suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. There are no bonds too strong for our God. Listen, I'm all for wise budgeting. I'm all for getting the best medical advice. I'm all for hard work and discipline of setting goals and checklists. But some situations that you're in surpass what you can do in your own strength. You need to find God. You need to make a music up to him because God wants to release his power and his presence in your situation in a moment. You just play the music. God will respond with the moment. For my wife and I, there was a moment where we were, we had one car for about two and a half years. And this church exceeds probably many churches in this area. So I'm not, we were, we were in a financial situation where we were believing God for a second car. And we were saving and we were doing everything that we could, believing God. And one day when we, I've been saving for about two and a half years and not making any progress. Somebody's been there with me. I, I can just tell. You're just looking at, listen, I've tried the automatic budgeting where, you know, it sets aside some money, but for some reason that it just wasn't happening. And we're praying and, and we're discouraged. And I heard the Lord say to us, believe me for a car. The next day we showed up to church and somebody said, hey, I want to give you this 2002 BMW 530i. Listen, it was 15 years old, but I, that thing was sweet to me, man. I was, I was flying down Route 28 in that thing. A couple years later, now we have three kids. We have three kids in the back seat of a car, three car seats. Here we are again. Lord, we need you to provide. We're saving up. We're doing all that we can. We go out to buy a van with $10,000. You go out and try to buy a van with $10,000, y'all. It's, it's, the prospects are not looking good. Family member came to me. Here's $15,000. Add it to the $10,000. Listen, I am the most grateful minivan dad that there is in Northern Virginia. In my 2015 Honda Odyssey. Here's my point. We just began to worship God. We said, God, we don't know how it's going to work. We're in a financial situation where we feel stuck. And God poured out his blessing on us. God will do in a moment what would take us forever to do in our own strength. But it wasn't just the foundations of the prison that were shaking. There was a Philippian jailer who was shook, who was shook to his core. Verse 27, when the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. This man had one job, and it was to keep these prisoners locked up. And in this culture, this honor-shame culture, it would have been better for him to kill himself than to face the penalty of what he would do as a, as a uh, jailer of lo losing his, his prisoners. So he thought he was doing the most honorable thing he, he could. Can you imagine just for one second, why do you think that God allowed Paul and Silas to be in prison? If God is so powerful that in a moment he could open up these doors, don't you think he's powerful enough to prevent these men from, from going into prison? Why do you think he had placed them in this place? Well, there was a Philippian jailer who was there. And you think that he hadn't heard about this Jesus? This Jesus who had done miracles and 
who had flipped the Roman Empire upside down, who'd been crucified, and now whose followers were claiming to be, who were claiming that he had actually rose from the dead. You think he hadn't heard that story? He had heard it, but it hadn't moved him. You think he hadn't heard about the girl in his own city who was the, the Miss Cleo of his town? You think he didn't know who she was and how she had been delivered and how now she was clothed and she was in her right mind and she was just a normal little girl? You, you think he hadn't heard that story? He heard it, but it didn't move him. See, some people are so hard-headed, so spiritually blind that they need a moment right in front of them. And God, in his mercy, in his love, said, I'm willing to put two of my favorite men, two of my sons, in a prison to help this Philippian jailer. What person in your life has God placed in your circumstances where you feel stuck, but in reality, you're not stuck, they're stuck. In reality, God wants to use you to get you unstuck so you can get them unstuck. And the question is, are you going to open up your eyes to see the people around you who are like this Philippian jailer who need you to get a revelation of why God has put you there, who need you to start singing and worshiping God, who need to see you in your right mind when everybody else is freaking out so they can go, I need what you have. Who was really imprisoned? Was it Paul and Silas or was it this Philippian jailer in his sin? Don't miss the moment. God allows us to experience difficult situations, situations where we feel stuck to help others who really are stuck. The moment is not just for us. The miracle is not just for us. It's for those around us. Verse 28, Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. What must I do to be saved? There comes a point in your life that you got to open up your mouth. Because if you don't, this Philippian jailer, what was he doing? He saw this miracle and his, his thought was, I need to kill myself. How many people around us They're seeing the the power of God, but they don't have the spiritual discernment to understand what's happening. And they need us to give the message. They need us to open up our mouths. And you go, you check out Facebook and Google and all the theological debates and evolution versus creationism. And people say, well, how can you have only one faith that leads to God? Why aren't there multiple ways? And there are all these debates and you can get into theological discussions. But when they see the power of God, the debate is all over. The Philippian jailer, he wasn't trying to figure out Paul's doctrine in that moment. What do you think about this? What do you think about that? He said, what do I need to be saved? And when you're in the moment, it's too late to learn the message. When that boss who you're supposed to be reporting to all of a sudden breaks down at your desk and starts pouring out their life story, it's too late to learn the message in that moment. You better know the message at that point. It's too late to call Pastor Brett or call the church offices or play a 30-minute sermon. you got to know the message in that moment. Here's the message, verse 31, very simple. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Paul had this thing down, down to a sentence. And this gospel is so simple that it can be believed by children. It can be articulated by children. It's not rocket science. It's we are sinners. We need God. 
in the form of Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins. That's the gospel. Anybody who believes that can have eternal life. You can tell that to a coworker. You can tell that to a family member. Do you know the gospel? Can you share it clearly and concisely in just a few sentences? Can you share your testimony? We call it here your two-minute miracle. It's 30 seconds of what your life looked like before you met Jesus. A minute of how Jesus changed your life. And 30 seconds of what life looks like after Jesus encountered you. Very simple. Your story in two minutes. Can you share your story? That's the message of the gospel. And that's something you don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to go to seminary for. That's something that you and me can do every day. And Paul made a regular practice of it. It's why he had it down to a sentence. He went back, verse 32. He spoke the word to him more fully. Listen, have a 30-second version, have a 5-minute version, have a 45-minute version. After somebody gets saved, then you can go into the Trinity, you can go into Jesus. You don't know those things, we can help you. Get in a small group, get discipled, learn how to communicate this gospel. Verse 33, and he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Look at just... The radical nature of the gospel. Here was a jailer, somebody from the Roman Empire, an empire that was antithetical to the gospel, who wanted nothing to do, who crucified Jesus. And now this Philippian jailer is tending to the wounds of his prisoners. He brought them up into his house, set food before them, and he rejoiced along with the entire household that he had believed in God. Listen, I'm on a journey this year to grow in this area. I'm not the expert. I'm trying to figure this out just like you are. And I said, God, I want to see people come to know Jesus. I want to see my neighbors come to know Christ. And so for the first five, for our five-day fast, that was my prayer. Lord, I want to know, how can I reach my neighbors? What can I do? And God never speaks to me in dreams, never speaks to me in visions, but Saturday morning, I woke up with a dream. And in the dream, I was serving pizza on a six-foot plastic table in front of my house, and neighbors were coming and eating. So once a month now in my neighborhood, we're having a pizza party. Neighbors are going to come out. We're going to talk to each other. We're going to get to know each other. We're going to build relationships, and people are going to come to know Jesus. The second thing I decided I wanted to do that the Lord put on my heart was on Friday nights go and play basketball. I thought, man, I need to get some exercise. I love playing basketball. Let me just use it as an opportunity to, to share the gospel. So sure enough, Friday night, playing basketball. Can't believe the fact that I didn't get picked up that first game. But here I am, it's just me and another guy. And I realized, okay, I can be mad for the next 20 minutes that I didn't get picked up. Maybe they didn't see my nice LeBron James shoes, I don't know. Maybe they're like, you know, they have some kind of thing against tall white people, skinny white, I don't know. I mean, I would have picked myself up, but that's a whole nother story. But I'm like, okay, it's me and it's this other guy, it's the two of us, he has nowhere to go. He's angry that he didn't get picked up either, so let's go to work. And I just started asking him questions. I started, hey, tell me your story. He said, hey, I'm, I'm here from Florida, just here for a couple weeks, here on a job. Just came here, found a gym close by. I wanted to play some basketball. We started talking. We started sh- sharing. I asked him, man, where are you at in your faith? And in a matter of a couple minutes, he gave his life to Jesus Christ. It doesn't take a theological degree. It doesn't take 
being a full-time minister, you have people in your lives, in your spheres of influence, neighbors, coworkers, family members, who God has placed around you. This gospel is about a movement. God has called you to move. God gives us opportunities when we're stuck to make music, to sing, to worship, to praise him. And in that music, God produces a moment. And when the moment comes, you have a message. Share that message and see the power of the gospel transform lives. Amen? If you're here today, maybe you're the Philippian jailer. And maybe we've been talking about how to share the gospel, but if you're completely honest, you recognize that you are the one in prison, in prison to shame, in prison to guilt. Today, as we pray, I want to give you a moment to give your life to Jesus. In one moment, you can see your life radically transformed, just like this Philippian jailer. If that's you, with every head bow, would you raise your hand? today.